millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hi, I'm John McEnroe, and you're listening to the Tennis Podcast. Well, hello and welcome to the Tennis Podcast. We are here at the Royal Albert Hall, the Statoil Masters Tennis once more. And after special guests of Pat Cash and John McEnroe on the first two days, Catherine Whittaker, who have we got today? <laughs> you get me to announce the guest every day. That's your role now. Uh, a very important role in this too. We've got Andy Roddick with us. Hello, Andy Roddick. How did you get Johnny Mac to do a podcast? I tell you, I just asked him. And who, hey, presto! How big was your gun? Well, I don't know. I, I just I'm a big bloke, and I just stood there, really imposing, wow. and then just hoped for the best, That's, and it and it happened. I guess miracles do happen. They do. Yeah. What do you think of our little tennis court inside uh, an arena that normally has music? Yeah, it's pretty cool. I actually was. Uh, I played uh, Bruguera earlier today here, and um, on the switch over, they were given kind of the, the history of, of, of Royal Albert Hall, and you know it, it was pretty cool to see. You know, from what was it 1871, and you know it was such a I guess a unique visual structure from the air, so it didn't get bombed during the war. It's just it, it's just when they start throwing out things like that, it becomes very uh, surreal, as if just the, the beauty of the place wasn't surreal enough. It's uh, it's a it's a cool place for uh, for some tennis for sure. You know, they once ran a marathon here. They once ho- hosted a marathon in the Royal Albert Hall and they did like two, 2,000 laps. Or so I'm doing the maths in my head about how many laps it would be, but they just did laps and laps inside it's the funny. Albert Hall. It's funny because I was trying to think of what would be worse than a marathon. What would be worse than a marathon? I guess 2,000 laps of a marathon would probably be worse. <laughs> <laughs> that would be rough. Uh, you're into your history, given that you're, you've played Wimbledon many times and Queens, a tournament with more than a century. This tournament has got... About 17 years of history. It started in 1997. When I was doing my research, I realized you hadn't even turned pro yet when this tournament first started. Now here you are playing it. No, let's see, 97. I finished uh, that year. I was busy finishing uh, a robust 48 in the country and 16 and unders in, in, mm-hmm. in the USA. So uh, the Royal Albert Hall was a long ways away for me in 1997, uh, both uh, in terms of skill and, and age. And these days... We know what you're doing with yourself because we are avid followers of the Fox Sports Live podcast, yeah. which we are two of the, how many listeners you have? I think we're up to nine. We're so double nine. figures so, is yeah, just around the corner. It's, it's a little intimidating to look at, you know, 20 some odd percent of, of our actual <laughs> listenership, you know, which is, you know, it's, we've, I don't know how many we've done by now. It's got to be 70, 80 done in just complete obscurity so i uh, i appreciate it i think it's all a ploy just to get me to do this 10 minutes of podcast it is and uh, and yeah. absolutely and for all the 15 of you listening to this if you, if you do that I, I i mean i'm starting to kind of tick the boxes on what you would have had to do for for johnny mac and i feel like it might be disgusting 
It is pretty yeah. rough, actually. Yeah, you wouldn't have wanted to be present. But no. anyway, he did it. And and you can listen to it, Andy Roddick. Uh, if you download the Tennis Podcast and you subscribe on iTunes, I've heard this somewhere before, subscribe yeah. on iTunes. And, uh, and while you're there, subscribe on iTunes to the Fox Sports Live podcast. Cool. And the Fox Sports Live TV show, which goes out at 8 o'clock... Something or other. Uh, we, you know, we don't have a, we don't have a lot of viewership here in in, in England. I got well, we don't have much viewership in the states. Much. This is global. Yeah, so Podcasts are global. I'm trying to help you out with that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, eleven Eastern. If uh, if uh, if you're bored, eight Pacific. You are indeed, absolutely. What what has it been like though to do something like that? Because I mean, you know, we we see tennis players and athletes go into the commentary box all the time in their chosen sport. You're talking. I mean, I have to be honest. I understand about ten percent of what you lot are talking about on that show, but I still enjoy it. But it, it's a different type of discipline, isn't it? Yeah, and, and to to be fair to you, I know about ten percent of what I'm talking about. So the rest <laughs> is just shit. I don't know if we can say that on your podcast. You can because I've found a beeper button that oh, I can bleep right. that out. Well, uh, only quitters press the uh, the bleeper button. But uh, no, it's fun. You know, I I, I had I had uh, some some nice opportunities to go um, back into the straight into the commentary box uh, for tennis. But um, in my mind, I, I don't know that I could rationalize traveling to talk about tennis when I uh, I still. F- felt like I could probably travel and, and, and play it. Um, you know, I retired and I could still uh, swing it a little. So that was a, that was a tough, uh, tough kind of thing to rationalize in my mind. Yeah, it's a, it's a pretty cool uh, um, setup you've got really there, isn't it? Because not only are you going to LA and occasionally doing these shows, you're also doing your podcast from your own house. Yeah, it's, it's pretty. I did, uh, gosh, I think it was seven months last year, Monday through Friday in studio for Fox, which... Um, wasn't something that I, that I thought I would I would do um, straight out of out of tennis so soon. Um, but you know, there's no there's no control for timing of opportunities. So um, I, I guess I won their trust a little bit. And now we have uh, equipment in a room in my house, so uh, that works out a little bit better. The, the the commute's a little shorter from the kitchen to the the podcast room in Austin than it is from Austin to LAX. No, absolutely. Now, just a, a few questions from our listeners uh, that have come in here. When you first played Rafael Nadal, we've got down here 2004 Davis Cup. Is that uh, about right? It's about right. I played him um, at the U.S. Open that year, second round, and then again at, at Davis Cup uh, on clay a couple months later. And when you came off that court and saw what he was all about, I mean, what were your impressions of him? Well, it was, it was, it was two different opinions. Um, playing him on a fast court, his first match in Arthur Ashe Stadium when I had played there a bunch, um, that's probably about as big of an advantage as anyone's ever had over Rafa as far as um, circumstance and, and, and I guess the, uh, the scenery and, and, and the whole deal on a fast hard court when I was two in the world and he, he, uh, he wasn't Rafa yet. And then uh, it, 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 my opinion changed drastically after playing him on clay in Seville, uh, cold weather, um, with 28,000 of his closest friends uh, uh, cheering him on. So um, after the U.S. Open, I said he's, he's going to be a good player. I don't know that he's, he serves big enough to, to, to make it big. That shows you how much I know. And then uh, after I played him in Seville, I said he's going he's gonna to win seven French Opens. And uh, little did I know I was, I was selling him short, actually. <laughs> yeah, I remember that. I remember that was uh, from a couple of years ago, you saying that Doug Spreen Doug had said, said that he would win he eight? Said he, he said he'd win eight, so he was completely wrong. Yeah. What was he thinking? Uh, apparently the truth. I, I mean, it, when you start throwing around those numbers, it's like, you know, it, Rafa on clay now, it's like, it almost looks like he's playing Xbox when you get like really good at a video game. That, that's how easy clay looks to him. 
Sure does. We have that was from uh, Avril Leah, and we have Antonio Goran who says, "How long did you take to get over that 09 defeat at Wimbledon? D- did that sit with you for a while?" Yeah, I, and I don't know how to. It's it's tough to you know it's like anything. You, you, time first couple of days afterwards I woke up and it was the first thing I thought of when I when I woke up from sleep and then you know you're walking around and you kind of get the, the sinking feeling and then um you know I pulled out of a couple of tournaments that summer because I wasn't in a space to play tennis again and uh gosh I was I was out at I was out at Wimbledon yesterday with uh with Tim Henman um just having I had my first spot of tea with Tim Hemmen at Wimbledon is that like is that like the English dream right there I'll tell you that is quintessential I mean, that's, that, that's that's like uh, you know that, that's that's like Rafa winning his first French Open right there I feel like I really nailed tea and how was tea at Wimbledon oh, it was fantastic it was great no better place um I was uh completely off topic but I have no idea what we were just talking about we were talking about tea at Wimbledon but the question you answered was about Wimbledon and 09 and the, um, and the defeat yeah, yeah. there I'm back on track um it, you know but it's it's just one of those things where the more uh, space I had from it, the more I actually appreciated what what happened. You know, the first thing for the first couple weeks afterwards, you just think of it in a context of 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 when you know you lost. Um, the the thing that kind of opened my eyes was, uh, you know, I didn't pay much attention to it. Um, I was kind of home in my bubble, just trying to get a, a, a away from everything. You know, down in Texas, and wasn't reading much or looking at much. And then uh, the next event I played was a month later in in, in Washington, and uh, I remember showing up for my first practice there. And uh, going out, and there was they had they put the practice court on one of the uh, the match courts, um, but there were no matches on at that time. And we had a couple thousand watching practice. And then I played the next night on a random Tuesday night, which you know you you fill the stadium towards the end of the tournament, but you don't um, towards the beginning. But uh, it was sold out, and I walked out, and it was just the place you know fell to pieces. And um, it, it was the first time after that match. I'm, I'm thankful for it because I felt like I was understood. I played a lot of roles. I played, um, you know, the brat, the hope, the all, all this. But um, after that, I think people just realized I was just a dude who, uh, you know, played uh, played well in a couple of Wimbledon's, and, and and that's where I was. That's where I was happy being. You mentioned you said you played a, a couple of roles. One of them was you had a, a couple of spectacularly <sighs> magnificent rows with umpires in your early years, pre. Hawkeye. Yeah. Now I remember you being one of the first players who said Hawkeye's brilliant. Mm-hmm. Takes all that all that sure. nonsense out of the game. Do you feel the same now? No, I don't. Um, and, and listen, I'm the first. You view things through a certain lens while you're playing, and it, it you allow yourself to change once you're done. And when I was a player, that pissed me off how people would flip flop. But um, you know, 06, I was purely thinking about I wanted to get it right. I remember. Um, example of mine is the 01 U.S. Open when I got a really bad call against Leighton, and that I think that had ramifications for the entire tournament. Um, he go, he went on to win. I you know I was I was playing great going in, didn't didn't get it, so I didn't ever want to finish a tournament no, thinking that a call may or may not have affected um, the outcome. Um, on a bigger scale, the entire business of tennis is eyeballs on TV sets, and if someone's arguing with a referee loudly and aggressively the eyeballs will remain on the TV set. And I think Hawkeye has actually taken, taken away uh, a little bit of that personality um, in tennis. So I completely get that the players want it. I think it works great. I think it is, it, it's, it's been a success as far as serving its purpose, and I would get rid of it. <laughs> right, Catherine. Andy and I are in agreement. We want to get rid of Hawkeye. How do we sort this out? You know people. Do I get the deciding vote? Yeah. The You've got to sort it out. You're no. responsible now. A lot of pressure. Well, I'm in favour of it. 
in general, I'm quite swayed. I'm quite swayed by your argument. I think there is generally quite a sterilization of sport, but I think if you take that argument to its logical conclusion, then you know you look at football, soccer in in this country. There's such a strong argument that that the rows with umpires or referees in football it's it can be it can be quite uncomfortable. It's not a good advert for the sport. You could you could eliminate that with with a, a, to a certain extent with video replays. I think. I think I think on balance it's a positive thing. I do think there's a certain element of the novelty having worn off with Hawkeye. You know, at the time it was exciting and what you lost in personality you gained in the novelty of Hawkeye. That's gone now. I think I have a, I think we can meet in the middle here. I, let's let's just cut it down to 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 one challenge for a match. And if you get it wrong you're out of challenges. I'm not for that. I'll go for that. As long as you get them right, you can keep it rolling, but you have to be pretty and, – and I was guilty of it too. If you're, if you're 30, 40 on someone's serve and you know they hit a good shot, you still, you still review it. It wastes a lot of time. We know we can get away with it. We have three. When are you ever going to you know, guess three? The only reason you use three is because you can. You know? So maybe you have one at the beginning of a match, and that's it for the entire match. So you know, as long as you save it, you can't complain about a bad call because that means you misused your, your challenges somewhere along the line. I don't think to a certain extent, if you're the sort of guy that argues with an umpire, you're going to find a way. You know, John McEnroe finds a way to argue over a line call. Oh, no, come on. There would not have been. You cannot be serious with Hawkeye. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's, there's two things there. When you're, when you're arguing without proof, an argument can take longer. They, they're, they're not going to give you a time violation when it's basically you have an opinion. But if your opinion is, has just been proven on a massive board for the entire arena to see... I don't think the umpire is going to have a hard time giving you time violation, point penalties, and, and, and they'd probably be right in, in that judgment. But I think we've agreed. One challenge it is, then. I like it. Right, okay. That's sold. A couple of final points, Andy. Yeah, well, I tell you, now we've got the, the really important yeah. stuff coming up now. Because for the first time in the seven years Catherine and I have known each other, tomorrow morning we are playing each other at tennis. Wow. Right? I've never seen her play. Okay. She's never seen me play. Okay. Last night I got tips from John McEnroe, who said that I've got to be like Todd Martin, take a bit off my serve and be a bit more percentages. Okay. You beat Ivo Karlovic in the final at Queen's in 2005, I think it was. Yeah. Right. What has she got to do against a Goliath freak like me? Yeah, I mean, you know, generally pretty tall, pretty gangly, uh, very pale. Um, you got to make pale translucent. You got to you got to make translucent people move. You know, that's that's the that, that, that's the book on it. You know, uh, uh, that's it. Movement's going to be a tough one. I, I, you don't strike me as a as a gazelle per se. <laughs> I think that's fair. Yeah. Actually, I think that's fair. Well, you've just had a tip from Andy Roddick. Uh, how do you feel about that, Catherine? Are you going to take that and run? I told her nothing she didn't already know, by the way. <laughs> yeah, well, we've been over this. My predictions are that it's, it's not going to be pretty, but it's going to be, it, it's not, it's going to be effective. I'm unorthodox and effective, she, she thinks. Final point, Andy Roddick, while you're here. Bill Reiter, can I have his autograph? He's, he's, I've got a bit of a man crush. Really? Yeah. So you're the one. He's, he's too cool. It's exciting. We found the Bill Ryder fan. Do you, know awesome. what I, do you know what I like about him? You, you, know what, you know what the weird part is? Is that the people listening to this right now are going, who the hell is Bill Ryder? But that's the beauty. Now they go and find out who it is. Yeah, and they're going to say he looks exactly like Fred Savage from the Wonder Years. That's exactly what he does look like from what I've seen on Twitter. What I like is Andy Roddick, you were hard work when we were in press conferences, and he gives you some back. It's brilliant. <laughs> well, he does on air anyways. <laughs> he sure does. Andy Roddick, pleasure to have you with us on the Tennis Podcast. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. Thank you.
podcast powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Are you a reality TV junkie? Do you ever think, dang, I wish I had someone to talk to about all the trash TV that I watch? Well, look no further, garbage lover, because Reality Gaze is a podcast for you. Hello, I'm Maddie. And I'm Poodle, and we're the Reality Gaze. We talk about all your favorite unscripted shows like The Golden Bachelor, Love is Blind, and TLC's big, messy behemoth, 90 Day Fiance. And if you're driving to work, folding laundry, or just pretending to listen to your husband talk about sports, just put on the pod, and you've instantly got two gay besties spilling all the tea and reading these people for filth. So come at us, y'all. Find Reality Gaze wherever you listen to podcasts. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com